0: Hey, so welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much. Whether you're watching this uh, on video or listening on audio Uh, as I'm recording this today on May 8th, 2020, uh, I wrote down the world feels like it's just divided. And in case you're wondering, no, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about business. A lot of entrepreneurs and business owners have really struggled to pivot or to adjust or to find new solutions to the problems that they face or their clients face, or in some cases, tragically, They've simply been stopped because of their business model while others others have pivoted and whether that was you know restaurants going to take out only and I think about a, a local restaurant in my town that when all this went down uh, I would start calling and say, hey you guys okay you know it's like the family restaurant and I'd call him sapori in Corona Del Mar if you ever get a chance to go absolutely go Ask for Palo he's been our waiter for 20 years amazing human being. I remember walking in there after getting some food to go, and I said, Paolo, how you doing? He says, we're serving more dinners right now than we were serving before. He said, we're actually no longer stopped by the limitations of the number of tables that we have. And I thought, interesting. So, you know, some people pivoted. I even wrote down, in many cases, probably you included, we went completely virtual, right? We figured out how to survive, and in some cases, even thrive. I was speaking yesterday to a CEO of a huge company, and he, he was sharing with me. He said, "You know, what's fascinating is the recognition that, you know, with my hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees, that we felt we had to get on airplanes every day to go travel to go see our clients." And he said, "When you start looking at all the costs associated to that, that we're no longer doing, you know, we're actually saving money and we're staying connected because we simply went virtual, right? We simply went to video." And certainly in the real estate and mortgage space, with many of my clients that are listening right now. Um, you've done the same, and i got to tell you right now, there's a lot of positive signs happening right now in the real estate and mortgage market. Um, so just a couple of things that I'm paying attention to, uh, just being on yesterday, Redfin and Zillow's earnings calls, recognizing between calling them or talking to Mike Medler, the CEO of, of Century 21, CEO of EXP, CEO of Remax, and many others. Every major housing portal is showing insane growth on unique users, right? As well as time shopping for homes. So we're seeing a massive surge in demand. Now we know that some of those people are just voyeuristically looking at properties, but one of the things that, uh, that Glenn Kalman said from Redfin that I thought was really interesting, he said, when you look at people that are searching for big cities versus small cities, Small cities are 71% up, right? 71% up in terms of searches. Now, if you're in New York City, if you're in Philadelphia, if you're in Miami, if you're in Los Angeles, you're probably not excited about that. But you shouldn't be shocked by, you know, looking at how people are thinking about their home now. Right. I always think about the clients of mine in New York City that sold somebody, a, you know, an 1800 square foot apartment, which once you remove the bathrooms and the kitchen, you're talking about maybe, you know, 900 square feet of actual living space. People are looking at their homes differently today. You know it and I know it. If you're an agent, you've seen me talk about the importance of asking the question, you know, are you living in your dream home now? Right. Are you living in your dream home now and getting feedback from people? But also back on the notes, with every major portal seeing these massive rises, again, it's May 8th, 2020, as I'm recording this, interest rates are also insanely low. And lenders, all my lender friends, they're so busy doing refis right now that it's almost as if they weren't affected by it. Now, I'm not saying, you know, the, the you know, the kibosh on, you know, the non-QM loans or, you know, the jumbo product and all the adjustments that are having there isn't impacting them. But they're so busy, in most cases, refinancing their existing customers into better rates, saving them money, giving them more buying power, right? We know that's a good thing. So, so that's an interesting thought. Then, again, as I mentioned yesterday, Zillow and Redfin announced that they're both back to buying homes again. So what does that tell you? right? What does that tell you when two enormous data-driven home buying businesses, right? These real estate, you know, in one case, Redfin, a real estate company, and Zillow, a portal, when they say that we're back to buying homes, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? For those of you that might be doubting what's happening in the market, then talking to HomeLight and, you know, EasyKnock, right? These guys have launched new solutions that are really designed to help the agent, right, compete against those Zillow and Redfin products and other, you know, home buying companies. The bottom line is this. There are so many positive signs happening right now. The question is, are you leaning into it? Are you digging into it, right? Are you still stuck in the coma of, oh my goodness, Tom, don't you understand what's going on in my area? Listen, you know me, like I have an enormous capacity to care and part of my caring strategy is carefrontation carefront I care enough to look people in the eyes or in this case, maybe into your ear and say to you, Hey, it's time. We need you back. Get off your ass. Let's get going again. Because what we also see in the data is such a shortage of homes for sale compared to the buyer demand and the interest rates that we have a problem And the solution is you getting back to work and educating people on what's going on in the marketplace. Are you up for that task? Right. We're recording this on Friday. It's gonna hit you literally in the next couple days. I hope you watch the Tom Ferry Show that we released on Tuesday because I'm talking about this and more and what you can do to get more listings. Now, I also wrote down smart agents and I would even change that to data-driven agents something that we started talking about a decade ago with all of our coaching clients, they're digging into the details of the MLS and they're tracking their business at a rate where they can make intelligent decisions. What they're doing is they're removing the emotion, right? Like we talk about quant versus qual, qualitative decisions versus quantitative decisions. Quantitative decisions, I'm making decisions based upon the math. Qualitative decisions, I'm making my decisions based upon my gut. Now, I'm a CEO. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business person. Yeah, I make some decisions that are emotion-based that I can't I can't look at data to decide should I do it or not, right? But if you really, really, really pay attention to business, right, the long-term, sustainable, growth-oriented, scalable businesses are looking at the data first, right? It's the data first. It's not just your intuition, because if I ask you, How do you feel about your business? How do you feel about your business? How's the market? And you answer telling me the emotion that you're experiencing. Well, you and I both know you could be whiplashed by one phone call, one buyer, one cancellation, one appointment that went away, one seller that told you there's no way we could sell in this market. And that becomes your reality. That's why the data is so important. that's why the data is so important right now right allowing these agents to list and sell more properties and as i mentioned really preparing them for you know i I started may by saying may is the new january happy new year let's go the new year is beginning and what do we have to do we got to list every single property we can if you're in the housing business data driven agents data driven agents looking at the math and the numbers of their business and their market And making good decisions about how to help clients how to move forward powerfully and how to win in this environment which is really a perfect segue for uh today's guests uh brian charlesworth who i met through a mentor of mine someone that i referred to you've all heard me mention steve harney as the oracle of real estate well joe hanauer former chairman of move.com you would think of it as realtor.com I actually refer to him as the Yoda of real estate. It could just be, you know, when I was born in the movies that I like. But Joe is one of those those people that when you meet him, you just say like anyone that is listening or watching, if you've ever encountered Joe, he is a sweetheart of a human being who is brilliant and understands housing and real estate and mortgage and title and escrow like nobody else I know. Nobody else I know. Absolutely brilliant. He called me one day and said, I met this CEO. You got to meet him right? He is brilliant. And he's built a company that is, that, that is in line with the things that you believe you guys got to meet each other. And that is how I got to meet Brian Charlesworth. So Brian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. And thank you, Joe Hanauer. Uh, that was, that was a great uh, opportunity for me to come have dinner with you guys. So I, I still look back on that enjoyed that. So it's great to be here again, Tom.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So, so, you know, you built this great company called Sisu. Um, but before we get into that and talk about sort of your experience in, in starting companies, um, what were your thoughts on my opening? I mean, you're very in tune with what's happening with a lot of the biggest teams in the world selling houses. What do you, what what was going through your mind as I was doing my opening?
1: Yeah. So some of the some of the immediate thoughts that went through my mind were as you were talking about data. I, I can look in on any team basically, right? Uh, that, that's on our platform, which. Which there are a lot of the top teams in the country,
0: yeah.
1: And I'm seeing some just posting, some people posting on you know Facebook or Instagram or something about how bad business is, and then I look at our customers and see how all most of their businesses are actually up right now, yeah. And so how how is that? What's the difference? So as I as I've dug into that, Tom, a couple of things. Um, I actually uh, met with one of our customers who. Runs an i a, a big ISA team. They do mm-hmm. about eight hundred and fifty transactions a year, and they and just said, for
0: i just so for clarification for the people that are listening. If you don't know ISA, that's inbound sales associates. So it's the people that are handling the inbound leads, either phone calls or email. Sorry, Brian, keep going.
1: Yeah, so great. These ISAs uh, basically they're inside sales, right? So mm-hmm. so what happens is these guys are um, on this particular team. They're making outbound calls, and what they're finding is that. Their normal uh, answer rate was eight to ten percent. Yeah. And since COVID nineteen, it's been thirty eight percent. Wow. So people are answering their phones today. They're yes. having conversations. Yeah. However, that being said, a lot of people are afraid, right? People want to have conversations, but they're a little, you know, hesitant. Some to to actually do something today. So, in addition to that, what I'm seeing is that most people. Uh, who are still actively going at it 110%, they're having more conversations, in fact, double the conversations to get the same number of appointments. Yes,
0: say that, say that again so everybody really hears that loud and clear, and, and we'll break down the, the math of the kind of agents you're talking about, but say that stat again.
1: Yeah, so I mean, just an example, You need to have twice the number of conversations to get the same number of appointments so let's say you schedule four appointments for per 100 conversations typically in today's world in today's market Mm -hmm. over the last 60 days you're going to have to have 200 conversations to schedule those same four appointments
0: now just for a point of clarification and again you know you got the data on it because i look at for example dj who's my personal coaching client and we look through all the data of, of the lead sources is that a broad across all lead platforms or is that more the traditional online lead that you're trying to nurture, connect, build rapport, build trust, and then figure out if they're real or not?
1: So as far as which type of lead, that I don't know. It's more people having conversations. If, okay. if you look at the conversion ratio, Tom, from, from conversations to appointments set, yep. people are having to have twice as many conversations to set the same number of appointments.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So last week we, uh, we did something fun, uh, inside of our software loom for a bunch of our coaching clients. And basically it was 10 calls equals one appointment. Like th- those were the numbers. And, you know, we had some people that set 15, 16, 17, we, we, we did a madman, mad woman appointment setting day. Like, let's just see if we can create a personal best. And, and, you know, your numbers add up because there's certainly going to be people inside there that you know they were making 15 18 20 30 40 80 calls before they booked an appointment now this is one of those moments my friends where um when COVID 19 hit i remember on march 19th or 20th coming out to our entire base of customers and saying plan on two to three times the work for the same or potentially less pay that was a qualitative thought i didn't have data on it but understanding, right, this being maybe the closest thing to the recession of, say, 2007, 8, 9, or what happened in, you know, 89, 90, 90, 91, 92, we knew double, double the output to get the same kind of results. But from Brian's standpoint, how many, how many teams, give us some optics on how many teams you're tracking where you're pulling this data from? Uh,
1: about 650.
0: Okay. So 650 teams.
1: The top teams, you know, in the U.S., so...
0: Love it. Love it. So I appreciate that. Um, so, so why don't we, I do this on every podcast. I think it's important. You know, when you're talking to entrepreneurs, um, we all, we all got here through a myriad of paths. So, so were you the sort of classic born silver spoon in your mouth, Ivy league school championed by everyone around you to, you know, to be the CEO of this monster tech company? Is that, is that your backstory?
1: No, not at all. So, um, I grew up here in Utah, where I'm still at. Uh, um, I always had an entrepreneur blood in me, so uh, I I went to college, graduated not from an Ivy League college, but but from Utah State University, just a, yeah. you know just an average college, and um, spent my last year at the University of Utah, which is a little bit better. And uh, so so anyway, when I when I graduated from college, I was in the the telecommunications world. I had worked for Sprint. Went to work for MCI, which most of you probably don't know who MCI is anymore. But they yeah. were the second largest uh, telecom company in the U.S., and they were really the backbone of the internet when the internet first came out. So I was there when that all happened, and I fell in love with the internet. Fell in love with you know the the potential of what you could do. I remember training companies on how to use email when you know when I was 23 years old. So.
0: So we're t- are we just, for, are we talking 94, 95, 96, 97? Like give us some optics on the timing here.
1: Yeah, so right. Uh, yeah, it was about 94, right in that time frame Yeah. yeah. And so uh, anyway, uh, I was in sales, you know, I, that that was my life in sales. And I was selling data networks to large companies who were spending millions of dollars a month on data. And uh, <clears throat> I, being a young uh, entrepreneur thinking person, didn't realize that it was their network that was allowing me to sell so much. I had about $10 million a month in billing. And uh, I thought, well, they're capping my commissions. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go start my own telecommunications company. Sure. So I did. And we were the first Nextel dealer in the state of Utah. Um, and I only had that company for about a little less than 18 months and sold it and uh, ended up Worked for them for about six months after that, left that and started a company called Talk2Technology.
0: Okay, but hold on first, hold on first, right? There's a lot of like, so I have a lot of real estate friends. I got a lot of mortgage friends and I got a lot of like just, you know, entrepreneurial buddies and, you know, gals that I know that have started their own companies. When we hear I built it and I sold it in 18 months. Okay, we, we call that a trigger. Was that a good trigger? Was it a bad trigger? Were you happy to get out? Was it a disaster? Was it a home run? Talk to us. So it wasn't a
1: disaster or a home run. It was we had a company that really they were in the multi-unit space in Texas, and they wanted yeah. to provide all of the all of the services going into those multi-unit, you know, multi-dwelling complexes. So yeah. uh, they wanted our service because we had the telecom side that they needed, which included data as well. So we were the data and tele telephone side of their business. Love so it. so they they acquired us for that, and after they acquired us. Um, I didn't realize, but we were the only company making money at that time. The rest of their businesses were losing money. They were using our money to fund all of their other businesses, which just, it wasn't a fun atmosphere for me. Yeah. So, you know, I was young and invincible at the time. And I was like, I'm going to go start something else. And so I did. And that company was talk to technology We raised about $71 million, some, somewhere around that 70 something um, of venture money. And that was that was really uh, voice Internet as as Steve Jobs was betting on this phone being the way people would browse the Internet. Yeah, we were betting on voice and we were way ahead of our time. Uh, That company did get acquired after five years, but we were way ahead of our time people. I mean, now people are used to Siri and Alexa and Google and you you do that every day. But at that time, uh, we partnered with the wireless companies. We enabled 3G services in their 2G network, so we allowed voice services essentially yeah. for people to browse the internet uh, using their voice. So, you know, okay, so, back, back so, in the year 2000, Tom, I was driving down. I was in a taxi. Yeah. This, you know, this was before Uber, right? I was in a taxi in New York City, and I was just asking uh, Kathy Ireland was one of our celebrity. We had all celebrity voices. Uh, Kathy Ireland, James Brolin, Sherry Belafonte, some of those people. Anyway, yeah. uh, Kathy was my voice at the time. And I was like, hey, Kathy, can you pull up my email? And then can you, you know, how many messages do I have from Tom Ferry? Well, I didn't know you then, Tom, so I didn't have any. Yeah. But yeah. but it would say you have six messages. Well, and it would read you the headers and then you could respond with a WAV file. So that's...
0: Wait, okay, what are we talking Two 2000- thousand five, four,
1: 98 to 2003.
0: Okay. All right. So really, really early. I mean, when you mentioned the Steve jobs, iPhone, I was like, I I assumed, you know, but that, that was like a 2006, seven, if I, if I recall, so that was, you're talking like on people's blackberries right now.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Blackberry was the thing then.
0: So, so you know, the devil's in the details. you raised $71 million. How old were you at the time?
1: Uh, when I started that company, I was 27.
0: Okay. So 27, you raised 71 million bucks. You sell the company. Was it a good, was it a good sale? Was it a, a positive trigger Were investors happy?
1: Yeah, investors were happy if the, I should say investors were happy if they were preferred investors. So, yes. um, we had an opportunity to sell the company about three months after we raised our $45 million round. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we, we did that round at hundred million dollar valuation. Um, we had an opportunity to sell the business for over 300 million at that time. And our board, they were kind of young, uh, VCs and they thought we were a billion dollar company, right? A lot of VCs, when they come in, they say, we need to get a 10 X on this. Otherwise we'd rather lose money. So sure. We didn't, we didn't get the 300 plus million. We did sell the business, uh, two years later for over a hundred million, but that was not a huge win for, you yeah. know, for anybody really, I mean, People got money, but not not huge amounts, right?
0: So so what's the lesson for the entrepreneur listening right now? And it's almost like the same lesson for both of us, you know, helping real estate agents. Sometimes the first offer is the best offer. But, but you know, that's the obvious.
1: Almost always, right? Yeah,
0: almost always, right? And, you know, greed kills a lot of deals. So, but beyond the obvious, what was the lesson for you at that time? And what was that like being, you know, 27 and you got a chance to, to trigger at, you know, what would that be, you know, 5 6x of the last round, right? That's a significant deal. What did you learn from that?
1: Well, for me that would have been about $50 million. Um, you know, and so it was it was like my first big blow, right? I yeah. up to that point in my life, I felt like I was invincible. Nobody sure. could nobody could touch me. So that was that was my first big blow where I was I was devastated, actually. I mean, when they would, when I was standing in a boardroom, arguing with my board about now's the time to sell this business. Um, but, you know, it, it, it probably took me six to 12 months to realize I just got to get on with life. And yeah. so it was a great learning experience. I mean, a lot of money is one thing, but I think my life, my kids are probably way stronger by, Me not having done that well at that time, just, you know, they probably would have grown up a little spoiled and just just with a different lifestyle. So um, anyway, I think there's a reason for everything in life and it was a great learning experience. It was actually one of the most fun times I had ever had, which is why I'm back in building tech companies again today. I absolutely loved it and I love what I'm doing today.
0: Okay, but so I got to dig in. And first of all, I appreciate you sharing because, you know, look, I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs. We have a lot of, you know, mutual friends that start these crazy companies. And, you know, some people are one and done. Some people, you know, they have that situation and the loss destroys them. as As you mentioned, you can remember like six to 12 months, maybe just, you know, trying to unravel from that experience but then you went into real estate and mortgage or mortgage and real estate. Where, where in the world did that show up?
1: So that's a, that's a great, great point. So after that, I actually started a small investment company. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what we did is we bought franchisors. So house master home inspections, for instance, was the first yeah. one that we bought. And then I tried to buy budget blinds and ended up partnering with them, but we bought, I mean, we bought one or two companies a year for eight years. And yeah. so, in that atmosphere, I found that I'm not the best investor who likes to sit back and look at companies. I ended up having to step into several of those companies as a CEO. And so I found myself operating companies that I wasn't passionate about, yeah. which which was not fun for me. Yeah. So, so anyway, I ended up partnering with Budget Blinds and we bought three businesses underneath their business and then I helped them sell their business about six years ago. And when that happened, Uh, I had just gotten remarried and my wife, I actually told her, I said, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't know if you want to marry me right now because we're getting ready to sell this business and (laughs) you don't know what my life's going to look like after that. Right. So, so anyway, she said, no problem. I still want to marry you, thankfully. And um, after we sold Budget Blind, she basically said, why don't you jump into real estate and help me build my real estate team? While you're figuring out what you want to do, and I was got like, it. "Yeah, I'd love to." So that's that's how I got in real estate. Now I grew up with a, a father who, you know, was in real estate, had his own brokerages, um, you know, of, of hundreds of agents. So, so anyway, I I'd been around real estate my whole life, but love it. It was something yeah. I never thought I would be doing, and yes. uh, I found myself in it. I found myself super super frustrated. Spending time building spreadsheets, yep. trying to convert daily numbers into weekly numbers into monthly numbers, trying to have goals and accountability, uh, just you know the way you want to run a business. And it was very difficult to do. There was nothing out there that would allow us to do things in a smart way. And so that's really how Sisu was born. Uh, we went from spreadsheet went from google sheets to smart sheets because mm-hmm. smart sheets would send a notification out every day at 5 p.m. saying put your numbers in yeah and they could click on it and go in and do that and we realized how much higher the production was some of some of my wife's uh, agents actually doubled their production just from reporting numbers out daily yeah and yep. so we were like okay there's better way to do it let's create an app and so
0: but hold on first just for the people that are listening now we've talked about pearson's law right this is pearson's law when you measure your performance performance improves i don't understand brian why most people don't get that now you get it because you just said i was buying one to two companies a year for eight straight years and found myself having to dig in as more of a investor coo ceo to untap the profitability through the data And yet the vast majority of people in the mortgage space, the real estate space, many entrepreneurs, they love their product, they love their clients, but they really don't get, when you measure performance, performance improves. Why is that?
1: Well, it's such a great question. I think more and more people are getting that now. And, you know, some of these top performing teams and brokerages totally get that. 100%. But I think there's a lot of people that have a fear of measuring. They don't want the accountability. And so I think that's a problem. But imagine this. Here we are today, May 8th. We're eight days into the month. How Mm -hmm. many of us know, are we on track to hit our goals this month? Are we on track for conversations yeah. for appointments yeah. set for appointments met for signed? if yeah. your contract closed, right? Because it's those lead measures that create the end result lag measure. Right? So if you can make sure that every month you're on pace for your conversations, your appointments set and your appointments met, if you just focus on that, the rest will just happen.
0: Bingo. And,
1: and if you're focused on that, you're going to know, I don't have a very good con- conversion ratio here. I need to work on my scripts. Yeah. Or I'm not very good at signing listings. I go on ten listing appointments a month and I convert to what can I do better? Right. I remember when I started in real estate, I had a, I had a coach that, uh, you know, he said, just go fail, go fail as fast as you can. So I was calling expireds and I was just pounding phones and, and I mean, I was, I was setting 20 appointments a month. Right. I did. Yeah. I did about 48 transactions my first year and but I mean, it was hard work, right? But but I knew how much money I needed to make, so I had to do the activities that it took to get there. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't like for me. It wasn't I need to make six figures. For me, it was I need to make three hundred thousand dollars. Yes, for for this to make sense for me. So yeah, so so anyway, when I jumped in, that's that's kind of what happened, and I found myself um, competing against all these top agents that uh, called expireds. And I was, I was seriously at about a 30% conversion ratio on my listing appointments. So I I would have to go on 20 appointments to get six listings. Yeah. And so, um, I had a coach that basically said, okay, number one, you're showing up and you're just viewing information. So let's just start asking the right questions, right? This isn't about you. This is about them. Yeah. And then I had, uh, he also said, do you have a pre-listing packet? And I said, no, (laughs) yeah, we put that in place. I started delivering that or having somebody deliver that the day before every, um, you know, every meeting and my conversion rate went up to 75% on, on expired listing appointments. So just, that would have never happened though, if I didn't know what my conversion rates were.
0: Well, you would have been stuck saying, Hey, and it's also, also obviously the, the power of having a coach, right? Someone that says, Hey, you're getting, you know, one out of three. What's the difference between one out of three and two out of three? Consider this. Let's test this. Let's try this. So, but I want to go back to the origin of this company. So what the hell does Sisu mean?
1: So it's a great question. So Sisu is, I needed a four letter word, right? So Sisu is a Finnish term. Uh, There's no direct translation in English. The closest word to it is grit or courage. So it's really being being able to accomplish things beyond your imagination. Um, if you go, if you go research that, you'll actually find Tom that the Finnish people uh, credit Sisu. It's their way of life for Finnish people. They credit Sisu to them winning a war where they had one tenth the number of uh, forces on the ground as their, you know, who they were fighting, which was Russia. So
0: you're speaking like right into my like you know, love for Vikings right now. Like it's, I totally get that. I totally, I love it. I've never asked you that question and that's funny. So thank you for sharing that. So I want to be clear. I mean, we wanted something that fit yeah. who
1: we are and we feel like, Hey, you know what? That's what Sisu is all about. It's about allowing you to accomplish things beyond what you could do on your own. So, yeah.
0: So, so you're selling real estate with your wife. You recognize that you know, there's no data like you probably had in every other business you've ever had. Certainly in the telecom business. My goodness, everything is a math equation, right? So you start going through, you know, Excel, Google Docs, right? And, you know, like you, you go through that sort of transition. At what point did you say to yourself, wait a minute, there's a business here?
1: Uh, as soon as I started seeing the results of her team members where they were, they were doubling their numbers. I was like, well, we need to get this out to the entire industry. And so it took about six months. You know, I worked the business for about a year before we started implementing that. Then we built an app. And about six months into having an app, I just said, I'm going to I'm gonna hit this full time. So I'm super passionate about it. I want to make a difference in this industry. And I'm just going to run with it. And my wife was 100% supportive of it and said, yeah, go for it. Do what you want to do.
0: So I'm not dogging anybody here, but if I had uh, a dollar for every app on my phone that a real estate or lender created, that was going to be the next new thing, right? The This is the one that's going to take out Zillow, Tom, or this is the one that's finally going to beat top producer. And I'm not rousing him, but you and I both know in business, the failure rate, right? The failure rate, you know, it's as high as 90%, right? So, so or higher, right? You know, And and not everybody has the success, even though the gut punches of your triggers were successes nonetheless. You were able to sell the business, right? Most people, it just dies, right? And we're even seeing that today in today's environment with companies, two of which I can think of that I invested in, that are just simply gone. How in the world did you guys make it?
1: Well, I mean, when I decide I'm going to do something, I'm all in. So this, I... This is not gonna die. This is uh, just gonna continue to have an impact on the industry. So um, we immediately shifted from an app though. Like you said, an app, Mm -hmm. if if we were an app, we would be dead. So you have to pivot, right? So we went from being an app, something that gave people the ability to track things to being a platform that allowed any data from any other platform to come into our system so that we could eliminate duplicate data entry. And that's where we started And now we've gone from just, we started around being like a sales performance company, built around building your sales organization, Mm -hmm. setting goals, being accountable to those goals. And just it's evolved and our customers have said, you guys do this so great, can you just do this much more so I can eliminate some of my other tech platforms? Yeah. And so our focus has always been, we don't wanna be a CRM. There are a lot of great CRMs in the industry. We wanna partner with every CRM in the industry. So- smart. We've done that at this point and uh, are currently working on integrations with all of them. We have integrations with all of them, but some of those are Zapier integrations. Some of those um, are third party integrations. So uh, On the backside. We also don't want to be a compliant software, Tom, we don't want to I don't want to be involved with uh, doing your MLS docs.
0: Yeah, e-signature closing out the tra- you know transaction management because there's a there's a ton of great stuff there too.
1: Yeah, so e-signature, which some people consider transaction management, um, yeah. but if you talk to DocuSign, they'll say we're not transaction management. We're actually um, do- document management. And so, yes. Sisu is everything between that CRM and the e-signature platform that you need to run your business, including. You know, custom forms replacing all your Google Sheets, including task management, replacing your Trello. So we we really are transaction management today. That's not what people know us as. Yeah. But but if people are using us to manage their entire business from the minute they set an appointment up to closing, uh, they're just going. Their productivity is going to go through the roof. I mean, we have customers who who were doing 150 transactions with three TCs, who are now doing over 300 transactions with one TC.
0: That's a big savings. I mean, it's huge growth, but it's a monster savings. So, so, so they're getting
1: the growth and the efficiencies because we're, it's all about automation as well, right?
0: Yeah. If,
1: if, I need to, if I need to make something happen, why not automatically have that happen? I, I shouldn't have to do everything when yeah. it can automatically be done. So that's a big focus of ours as well.
0: So it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever probably said this on a podcast. I've invested in like 60 different companies and, and the ones that I'm probably the most intrigued by really focus as like, as we do, we focus on kind of one thing though. There's, you know, some bifurcation in different products, right? Like I'm in the enhancing of human capital. Like that's what I do, like help people get better. Right. So whether that's in coaching, in-person events, live events, you know, listening to a a podcast, like I want people to get better. Right. So that's my business. The mistake that I see, right. When I think about like I invested in Slack, Slack did like one thing. They just, they took like AOL, you know, chat and just put it on steroids and had 8 million API feeds to everything on the planet. So they did one thing really well and they went public. Right. I think a big mistake that I see too many people making certainly in the early days of their career. And I'm curious if you did the same, like they try and tackle everything versus like we're going to generate leads or we're going to track and measure the leads or we're going to convert the leads, right? Handle the transaction, handle the search. Thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So for sure. Um, I think, I think the difference in us, you might think we're, we're going wide, but the thing is we are so focused on real estate. Right. I mean, Salesforce owns the world, but they don't own real estate because real estate, most people in real estate, I do know a couple of teams that have spent over a million dollars building out a Salesforce platform and they still spend a hundred grand a year having someone on staff to maintain it.
0: That's right.
1: So there's, there's two companies I've run into that have said, I really want CSU, but I've spent millions of dollars on Salesforce. So I can't get it, but I, I think that, and they're still using us, but not for their listing side, just for their Um, buy side. But the the interesting thing is we really are Salesforce for real estate. We simplify everything you need to do in your business. It's simplified and in one spot and you're not having to have eight different platforms. It's just in one place. And so where we've really focused Tom is we've said we're not going any in any other industries. We are real estate.
0: Love it. So what would you say looking back were the biggest mistakes you guys made in this business? I mean, we all we all learn from getting punched in the gut. What were the big mistakes and the lessons from them?
1: In in sisu. Yeah. So I mean, and you could
0: take any business. Truthfully, take any one of the businesses that you started. What were the big lessons? Like, if you, if we got a young, and I don't mean young age, they could just be young first time entrepreneur listening to this. We want to tell them what to avoid.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you just said it, right? I mean, some people would look at us and say, hmm, are you doing too much? But if you saw, we are, we really are just focused because we're just focused on one thing, which is real estate. Um, I mean, this is a business that we could take to, we could take to software, the world of software companies. We could take it to the car industry. I mean, every time I talk to somebody about our business, they're like, you should go take that to this industry. Yeah. Um, So I I think you said it, you have to stay focused. Um, I I think a lot of people are just trying to find a business. Um, Like I I hear people on podcasts all the time, asking questions to people like Gary Vee or something, what should I start? You know, it's, the reality is you just need to do something you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about it and focused and committed to, to really solving a problem, you're going to do well.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, even uh, last week interviewing Connor McCluskey, who founded BombBomb, right? So Connor, like yourself, like myself, has started multiple companies, had some wins, had some successes, had some losses. And he said, look, the whole thing is to just try and identify what is the big problem, right? What's the problem that you can, I mean, it's, it's the unique selling proposition 101. It's uh, uh, Don's book, story brand, everything is about, right? Either creating the problem that nobody knew they had, right? Someone like a Steve Jobs with an iPhone or his app store, right? Creating a problem that nobody knew they even had. And then, oh my God, that is a problem. Or in your case, like the fact that most agents don't make decisions based on data and they don't even know that the real pain that that causes. Right? So for everybody watching, like always ask yourself, what are the problems my clients face? If you're a real estate agent, what are the problems they face? If you're in the mortgage business, what are the problems they face? If you're in the software business, what are the problems they face? Not just the sexy things that you like, Dig into the problem because that's where all the magic is, right? Help people solve their problems, and then you can figure out how to scale and grow. So let's talk about that. Scale and growth. Um, how, many, how many total employees now in the business?
1: So we only have 14 employees. So we have totally bootstrapped this, Tom, as you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I talked to you about possibly investing, and I mean, it's, it's been bootstrapped. So we have, we're up to 14 employees now.
0: So, 14 employees any outsource?
1: Uh, we do have a few that are in the Philippines, they're full time with us, but they're yeah. not here in the US.
0: Do you count do you count them in your FTE count? Yes, I do. Okay. So 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 FTE full time employee, couple in the Philippines and then some in Utah, so or any other remote workers? Not not remote COVID-19 remote, right? I mean like truly different state, different city.
1: I mean, we've always been remote. Uh, We do have an office. Uh, It's it's in a shared office facility. We have two offices there, and I mean, one of our developers has gone in there every day during COVID nineteen because the building was empty. But um, uh, yeah, we, we also have somebody in Georgia who runs our success team. And he's based out of Georgia. I don't really care where people are, as long as we're working as a team. We've always worked as a remote business. So if people want to work from their home, we've always had most of our team working from home.
0: Love it. So, so you know, with, with everything that's happened in the world, the sort of forced digital transformation that we've been in, um, what advice do you have for people that uh, want to run an effective team remotely or just want to run their business remotely? What advice do you have, you know, sort of from a CEO standpoint?
1: I mean the the key is culture, right? I mean, think of these real estate teams right now, the ones that are really thriving. What they've done is the adjustment they've made is every morning they get up on the phone. Uh so this is an example of what I do as well, but every morning they get on the phone with their team. They have their team report their numbers out. What's their big rock for the day? And guess what? Then they do a 30-minute training to work on skills because now with this change you need to focus on your skills. That's right, and so it's it's the same thing with any business. Um, with with my business, uh, every morning I meet with my sales team for fifteen minutes, and then I meet with my development team for fifteen minutes, and then they're all focused and committed and know what they need to do for the day. And that's that's the way we run our business.
0: So it's interesting, you know, the the sort of daily huddle strategy because we you know we on March I think it was the whatever. 18th or 19th, I forget now, when we went 100% work to, you know, working at home, you know, our coaches have always been remote, you know, seven countries around the world, like that, that part was easy, but suddenly taking everybody that was totally accustomed to being in the office, we go to lunch together, oh, I, you know, I like to hang out with her, oh, I don't talk to her, right, like all that stuff, all that nonsense was just gone, right, so the way that we did it, and I'm just curious on your feedback is, it's same thing, it's, it's almost military, daily huddle, right? Morning. What are we committed to? What are the goals? What are the outcomes? I don't care what group we're talking about. And in some cases, middle of the day check-in and then end of the day check-in. And we did, we did that in the very beginning just to create that on Zoom, you know, lots of faces, everybody feeling like they're a part of something versus I'm isolated at home all by myself.
1: Well, you guys have such a great culture in there. I remember walking through and seeing all your TVs and your dashboards and just the energy. And I was like, this is, this is a, cool place.
0: Yeah. Thank so, you. So,
1: so leaving that to go home would, would have an impact. I don't have a place nearly as cool as yours, so it's easier for us. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know. I'm looking at your place right now that, that you know, looks, looks pretty cool. You got a couple of jerseys in the background and what looks like a big dashboard like ours. So, well, let's, I want to wrap it up with a couple just sort of rapid fire questions. If you were to say top three or four books you've read that helped you in your journey, what would they be?
1: Yeah. So, um, Jeez, and
0: books, audio, you know, whatever.
1: You know, I personally love books that um, just tell the story. Uh, yeah. So I, I've loved, like, Shoe Dog is one of my favorite books.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the the uh, What's the one by the founder of uh, SAP? Um, oh,
0: I didn't read it. I didn't read it, but I can see it in my head.
1: Yeah, it's it's an amazing, I I just love those books because I guess what I love most about them is it lets me know that every successful entrepreneur has had their struggles, right? The founder of Nike has had every same struggle I've had. He's yeah. thought he wasn't going to be able to make his payroll all these times, you know, all the same stuff. So yeah. um I, I just like to see that uh, the grit and And, you know, of course, they're talking about this is what I did to get out of that. So you're also learning. But it's anyway, I I love books like that.
0: Yeah, I'll give you an old school one to consider. When I uh, when I first went into uh, like an executive level management position, I was handed a book by Harold Janine. And it's like G-E-N-E-E-N, I believe. But just Google it. I think he only wrote one book and the book was called, get this, Brian, Managing, which made sense as to why it was given to me. Uh, what I didn't know, and as, as the book unfolded, he uh, was the first CEO of what we would now consider, you know, one of the large conglomerates like uh, Home Services or even like Viacom and these other businesses with all these different, uh, you know, parent companies with all these different businesses. Well, his was the, um, I think it was the ITT Sheraton Corporation. And I'm not sure if it was ITT Sheraton as the, as the holding company, but he had like, some ridiculous number of, of like 160 businesses, essentially 160 CEOs that he was managing. For me as a coach, it was like one of the greatest coaching books ever because he revealed his process of how he, on a monthly basis, reviewed all of the numbers on every one of his business units, right? So he could then in turn roll it up and present to the board. Fascinating book, probably, probably hard to find, but I'm sure Amazon, you know, you would dig it. Um, one other one, just because it's on my mind right now, is Ovitz. If you haven't read that book, it's the story of Michael Ovitz building CAA. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I, would like, I would like that. yeah. I mean, first of all, he was, you know, he is such a um, loved and hated, but always revered uh, executive. And in that book, he talked about he knew every single Hollywood producer agent. Uh, you know, movie star, script writer, B actor, like he knew every, he had just one of those memories and would talk to a hundred people a day. Like that was his mission. Talk to a hundred people a day to find out could I get you to come do something with us or do something with them or that right? He basically all he did all day long was prospect and follow up on leads and try and nurture and put deals together. Like that's what he did. And he built CAA, which you know we all know was an enormous, enormous company. And then he talked a little bit at the end about running Disney, which was a total disaster. But, you know, we'll, we'll save that for another book. So, so one other
1: book, Tom, yeah, uh, I, I read this year that had a, actually had a big impact on me is Play Bigger. Oh, have you yeah. read that?
0: I have not read that book, but I, I, I could see the title in my head. What was, the, what was the big takeaway?
1: So the impact on that for me was uh, they talk about creating a category. Um, yeah. You know, it talks about Salesforce. Salesforce really created CRM. Yes. Yeah. So, Sisu, uh, this year, we we relabeled ourselves. You know, we we didn't know if we were sales performance management, mm-hmm. if we were gamification. There were so many things that we were, and what we realized. But what I realized by reading that book and just going through all kinds of exercises with the team as I was reading it was that everything we do is focused on growth and automation. Yeah, so we coined ourselves growth automation software.
0: Ooh, I like that. Uh,
1: that's that's the category that we are because of that book. And it's interesting. I've already seen two other companies come out that have said, "Hey, we're growth automation software." And I'm like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> uh,
0: did you trademark that uh, that that term? By the way, we didn't
1: trademark it. No.
0: Somebody on my team, let's trademark that right away. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like some, when you, when you could create something like that, like we, we know in business, when you could be the first of anything, right? Being the first is always very powerful. We're the first growth automation, you know. I exactly.
1: So, so now it's a matter of just continuing to execute and let people know what growth automation is all about.
0: Yeah. Congratulations. So, so just, you know, closing thoughts, where, where's this business in the next, you know, five, six, eight years. And, And, and maybe two part and where do you see real estate going in the next five, six years? Yeah. Tackle either one, whichever one you want to go first on.
1: Well, I'll I'll tackle the first one first. So, uh, I mean, right now we are focused on doing some, some big things with some big companies. Um, today we have about 10,000 users on our platform Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, this year, in 2020, we will hit over a hundred thousand users. And I see us having hundreds of thousands of users in five years from now,
0: possibly Congrats. millions.
1: So we'll see. love it.
0: I like it. I like it. I like it. And then where do you see the real estate business in the next five, six years? What, what do you think is going to be different?
1: You know, I, I think the biggest impact that's really changed the business thus far is the iBuyer. Um, that being said, there's been so many people who have tried to say the agent is not going to be around the agent. We're going to eliminate the agent. That's yeah. the problem they're solving for. And I think, I think it's pretty common knowledge that all of those companies at this point have actually hired their own agents. They may be salary based. And so mm-hmm. I, I would say if you're an agent, that's something you need to pay attention to is what is your pay going to be? Because of companies like that, they're never going to take take it away from you that you're an agent. They're going to try to change the way agents are paid. So, you know, just pay attention to that. You're either gonna have to do more transactions or you're going to have to figure out how you can build ancillary businesses around your business Mm -hmm. so that you can take advantage of of everything going on in the the industry. But I I don't think the real estate agent's going anywhere. And I think actually with COVID-19, it's actually showed even more so how important they are in the transaction process.
0: I agree. I'll tell you another book everybody should check out uh, the book, and I'm probably butchering the titles called, I think it's Humans Are Overrated. Humans Are Overrated. You, did you happen to read that one? It's, it really talks about as, as the three A's, Asia, uh, automation, and AI take over the world. Yes, I did put Asia in that equation. Asia, AI, and automation. What are the most important human skills that we need to have to be able to be competitive, to be able to dominate the things that that AI is never going to be able to do, which you know for us might be something as like empathy, right? Or really listening, really caring, and you know being able to problem solve. So you know another good book for us to check out. All right, so Brian, as we wrap it up, uh, listen, man, I'm super proud of you and the team. Keep up the great work, and uh, you know just just proud to get to know you and be able to connect with you on the podcast. So thank you so much, my friend.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me on. It's always great spending time with you. I, I was actually thinking about you this morning as I played tennis because I know you're big tennis players.
0: Uh, yeah, love it, man. Love it. Yes, I think the tennis courts, I know my wife's out there playing. So the tennis courts are open in my town. It sounds like they're open in your town, too. So, hey, listen, my friends, thank you for listening to this. I hope, obviously, check out sisu.com. Um, if you like what you're hearing, sisu.co, by the way. I, I wish knew I was were gonna that up, but... up, Thank you. Yeah, sisu.co, right? Yeah. CSU.co. Um, and you know, check out what they're doing. It's obviously, you know, a lot of, a lot of my clients, a lot of teams, right? A lot of teams are on this thing. Um, so, all right, as we wrap it up, uh, thank you so much for listening. Always. I look forward to seeing you on the next podcast or on all the other ways that I'm reaching out to try and help you as a human being up your capital and make yourself better. All right. See you guys soon.